Well, we are in the middle of a series. Murtisiya, who was leading the prayer, uh, went to the chapter that we're using, Ephesians chapter 6. If you can turn there, please. Uh, from, we're reading from verse uh, uh, 14 all the way to verse 17. We used it from verse 10, but I'll just read from verse 14. And the background of this is that Paul, in Ephesians chapter 6, started addressing the Christian community about the armor they needed to put on because in his words we are involved in spiritual warfare. And he uses that analogy to describe to us how you and I need to put on our spiritual armor and the purpose being to stand against the plans of the enemy because Satan is our enemy. And our enemy is not people. We are not fighting with flesh and blood, according to Paul, but we are fighting against all powers of darkness. And then from verse 14 of Ephesians 6, he starts mentioning all these pieces of our armor. All right, I'm starting in verse 14, and we read the New King James Version. I'm reading verse 14. Stand therefore, having gathered your waist with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And having shot your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So the, the weapons that are mentioned are as follows. Is that our waist or our loins, we should put around our waist the belt of truth. We've talked about that. We're not going to go back on that. Then we ought to put the breastplate of righteousness, our feet short with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We need to have the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit. Last week, we were talking about our feet, okay? And in the words of that verse, they need to be short with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The question is, what does that mean, right? Our feet being short with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Let me read that verse 15 in other translations. In, an, in the NIV it reads, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The complete Jewish Bible reads, and wear on your feet the readiness that comes from the good news of shalom. The Amplified Bible says, and having shot your feet in preparation to face the enemy, with the firm-footed stability, the promptness, and the readiness produced by the good news of the gospel of peace. So we did describe last week, and please allow me to go back on everything we said, otherwise we won't be able to hook on really well. We did show what the soldiers looked like, there they are at the back, but on their feet they used to wear these shoes or these sandals. When we compare other pieces of the soldier's weapons, it doesn't seem like the shoes are such a, an offensive weapon. I mean, shoes seem so passive and, and, and peaceful. However, if you go back to the analogy that Paul used of the Roman soldier, these shoes were actually killer shoes. Just look at your neighbor if they're wearing killer shoes. Maybe if they're pointed. <laughs> these shoes were killer shoes. And the Roman soldier used to wear these shoes or these sandals. They were actually vicious weapons. They began at the top of the leg, near the knees, and extended all the way down to their feet. And the portions that covered them from the knees 
Down to the feet were called the graves. So let's have, the, there we are. That's what you have. You can see the graves there. These graves, as you can see, were made of metal and were specially shaped to wrap around the calf of the soldier's legs. These graves, as you can see, made out of steel or metal, they were actually very uncomfortable. However, very essential for the safekeeping of the soldier's legs. The shoe itself, let's have the shoe there, was made out of heavy pieces of leather or metal, tied together with leather straps, and they were intermingled with bits of metal. The bottoms, as you can see, of these shoes were manufactured of heavy leather or even pieces of metal. And so uh, affixed to this bottom of these shoes were sharp, dangerous, protruding spikes. And all of this had a purpose to it, all right? So Paul uses this analogy to try and describe to you and me how we need to wear and be ready for spiritual warfare. So what was the reason for what the soldiers had on their legs or their feet? Okay, let's talk about the griefs. These griefs, as we said, which were made out of metal, they covered the soldier's leg from the knees to the top of their feet, and they were designed to protect the soldier's calves when the soldiers were marching. Because in marching, the soldiers would march, march through rocky terrains, they would march through thorny terrains. And if your legs were not protected, you would be gashed and cut by the environment. So what Paul is telling us that in our marching or in our walk with God, in our journey as God's people, that we're going to meet stones, rocks, we're going to meet all kinds of things that are going to try and cut us off and immobilize us in moving forward in our faith. There's funny terrains that we get into. There are times in our lives when we go through difficulty. And when we go through difficulty, God says, you don't need to stop. You've got to put those griefs on your feet so that you should keep walking. Can I hear an amen in the house? So these griefs gave the soldier the protection so that the soldier can keep on walking regardless of the obstacles they encountered. See, whatever obstacle you encounter, God wants you to keep on walking. Tell your neighbor, you've got to keep on walking. The mental barriers as well gave the soldier this defensive protection in those moments where they, when they stood toe-to-toe with the adversary, the adversary would try to kick their shins. We note in sports, you know, uh, uh, many sports people in soccer and some other sports, people wear shin guards, you know. It's exactly almost the same concept. You protect your shins because in this instance, the, 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 the enemy will try to kick your feet and try to break your legs. So because the soldiers' calves were covered in graves, their legs could not be broken and the, as the enemy attacked them. Now, you'll see this as we go along. The enemy is trying to break our legs. The enemy is trying to immobilize us. The enemy is trying to stop you and stop me from fulfilling our destiny in Christ. But I'm here to tell you the enemy will not succeed in your life. In the name of Jesus. The shoes then, the spikes at the bottom of the soldier's shoes, were intended to hold the soldier in their place when they were in battle. Which means this. God doesn't expect us to retreat when we come up against forces of darkness. We shouldn't go back. So these shoes are meant to hold us in place because the enemy, their opponent, would try to push them around. 
but the spikes at the bottom of the shoes help them to be kept in place, making the soldier virtually immovable. See, God doesn't want us to be moved around in our faith. God doesn't want us to be shoved around in our belief system. Having done all to stand, we must do what? We must stand. We've got to stand our ground, stand against the enemy. So the spikes were also designed that it was also difficult for the soldier to move backwards. (laughs) So in other words, it was designed such that the only way to move is to move forward. See, God doesn't want you to retreat. God doesn't want you to run away from the enemy. Oh, do we have people who are running away from the enemy in this house? God doesn't want you to run away from the enemy. God expects us to stand our ground. So also these spikes at the bottom and the front of the shoes were also weapons of brutality. In other words, if you pushed over your opponent, the soldiers would give their opponents a good kick on these shoes. Now with all those spikes and with them stomping on their fallen adversary, they would actually eradicate their foe. Now note what Paul says. He says your feet should be shod, S-H-O-D. Tell your neighbor your feet needs to be shod, S-H-O-D. No, I didn't say your feet need to be short, some of you. <laughs> Tell your neighbor again, your feet need to be short, S-H-O-D. That's a very interesting expression because he says your feet should be short, but then he says with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It's quite interesting that he is linking this killer weapon's shoes to peace. I mean, these shoes don't look peaceful at all. So what do you mean, Paul, that My feet need to be shod. Well, that word when it's used in this passage, the word S-H-O-D conveys the idea, listen to this now, of binding something very tightly at the bottom of your feet. So in other words, when I put these greaves on and when I put these shoes on, I needed to bind them very tightly. Now note, watch, you'll understand that. So this is not a picture, therefore, of just loosely fitting your shoes like your slip-ons, you know? So you don't just slip them on, but you, you tie them, and you tie them at the bottom of your shoes, of your feet, rather, extremely tightly. Now, this has to do, therefore, with application on two levels, all right? The one level is on a personal level. What does it mean, my feet short with the preparation of the gospel of peace? We'll talk about that. Another level, it has to do with the mission level. This has to do with what God wants us to do, what God has assigned us to accomplish as God's people. Let's talk about a personal level. We said these griefs of the Roman soldier protected the soldier from the environment, from the blows of the enemy. And Paul is saying the peace of God, when it is in operation in your life, it will protect you from the blows, the hassles, and the assaults of the enemy. The enemy is going to try to disrupt you distract you, steal your attention by causing you and I to focus on all the negative things that whirl around in our lives. Now, we're not talking about living with a sense of denial, all right? We're not saying, we're saying there are no problems in the world, okay? We're not saying the devil doesn't exist. But we're saying even if Satan tries to push against us and bring in all kinds of things, our focus is not going to be on what he is doing. Because even if Satan is attacking us, God is there to give us the victory that we need. Can I have an amen? So when his attempts come and he tries to push us, we need to use the peace of God, know this, as a protective grief 
to stop us from being hurt and to enable us to march forward. So Satan will try to bring, when you read the Bible, worry and anxiety. You know, our world is so filled with worry and anxiety. And very often, even as God's people, we really love to have worry and anxiety. Now, if you don't understand this, you'll note that even when Jesus preached in, in Mark chapter 4, and he explained the effectiveness of God's word, using the parable of the sower and the seed, you know that there are four kinds of grounds upon which the seed fell. It's only on the fourth kind of ground where the seed grew, sprang up, and produced fruit. In the other three instances, the seed didn't grow. All right? In the one instance when Jesus explains, this is his explanation. He says, these are the ones who's, upon whom the seed was sown among thorns, such as, hear the word. Somebody say, hear the word. So no, these people, it's not people who really don't love God's word. Okay? It's not people who don't go to church. <laughs> it's people like you. We, we sit down, we listen to God's word, we listen to God's teaching, we say amen, we say ana, we say ATR, or we say something. But it's as such as hear the word, after that, when persecution and affliction arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Then he says, even the cares of this world, this is what Jesus says, when the cares of this world entering in, into the hearts, choke the word, and they cause the word to be ineffective. How does that apply in a practical sense? Know this. The minute you hear God's word, what Satan will try to do in your life is to bring worry and anxiety that what God has said will not come to pass in your life. And many people don't realize how much worry and anxiety is what Satan uses to destabilize us. What does worry do? Worry takes away our peace and tranquility. Worry makes us create a virtual world where we think about the worst. And you know, it's, it's quite interesting because there's, there's actually been scientific studies done on this. Where it's been discovered that over 95% of the things that we worry about never happens. In fact, it's, it's even higher. I think it's about 88, 98%. Can you imagine? 98% of the things we worry about never happen. Can you imagine? But you know, when we're worrying, when we're in a, that mode of worrying, it really looks real, doesn't it? And what does worry do in return? Well, we know medical science tells us there are certain diseases that come as a result of worry and anxiety. Yeah. These psychosomatic diseases that hit us, ulcers, I'm not saying all ulcers come from worry, okay? So please, if you, if you have ulcers, God will help you. I mean, he didn't say you are worrying, all right? Look at your neighbor and say, he didn't say you are worrying. He didn't say you are worrying. But we know heart conditions, high blood pressure. So what does that do? It destabilizes us. So we need to use the peace of God as a weapon to refuse to have worry and anxiety. What about us as parents worrying about our children? Husbands worrying about their wives. Wives are worrying about their, their husbands. You know, as a leader, Paul actually talks about it when he writes a letter to one of the churches. He said, of, you know, he, he tables everything in the book of Corinthians, what he went through as a leader. I've been stoned, I've been persecuted, I've been left for dead, and everything. And he writes everything about the, 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 the challenge of being a leader. And he says, above all these things, the care of the churches. And the word care is the word merima in Greek. And it means worry, anxiety, concern. 
Paul is saying as a leader, you know, included in, in everything else that comes my way, that tries to destabilize me as a leader is worry and anxiety. And if you've ever led anything, you know that leading something can bring worry and anxiety. Here we are, we're going to the stadium already, all right? We could be worried about the weather all we want to. But do we need to worry? No, we don't need to worry. We must just let the peace of God be a grief on our lives. Amen. So never retreat back and allow Satan to bring worry and anxiety in your life. Move forward and use the peace of God as a weapon. Now know this. Don't back down once you have cast your cares upon God. Not what God says. In 1 Peter 5, 7, he says, casting the whole of your care. And I'm reading the Amplified Bible. Casting the whole of your care. And that word care is worry, anxiety, and whatever. All your anxieties. Somebody say all your anxieties. Read it with me. And, and what? All your. And all your. Let's start again. Let's start again. It says casting the whole of your. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Now, now, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What does the word all mean? I'm going to ask my young people here. What does the word all mean? Everything. Yeah? All means everything? Nothing left? Huh? So it, does that mean, even if it's a small onion, I worry, I mustn't worry about it? Hmm? Does that mean God doesn't want me to have any? All my anxieties, all my worries, and the word cast means to throw. Throw, throw, the whole, everything. Everything that worries you, everything that brings anxiety, worry, concern. Note what it says. Throw it once and for all. Wow. On him. Why do we throw our worries and our concerns on him? Note what it says. It says because he what? He what? Oh, it seems like you don't believe that God cares for you. Can you read it again? It says for he does what? He does what? He does what? Not only does he care for you, he cares for you how? Oh. God is in love with you. Just like a parent, when you don't want your child to be carrying worry and anxiety, God is even better than a parent. Let's have it again. He cares for you what? And the next one, and then he cares about you what? Are you saying that as I go around my life, God is actually watching and checking any danger that's on the horizon and he wants to solve it for me? I gave you an illustration. You know, growing up as a child, I've always loved nature. I just loved it. And where I grew up, I used to go out into the open field because our house was, you know, with opposite us was an open field. And I used to go and catch locusts. You know what we call them. Because, you know, in our, in our home, at home, we used to have these gray ants. I don't know what they're called. And I used to watch these gray ants working the whole day to try and bring food into their hole, you know. You know and you see these ants working the whole day, trying to bring food there, you know. And so I, I, I'm there, and, I'm, and, I, and, and my heart would be moved because I'm compassionate, you know. And I look over these ants, and, and I just feel sorry for them because they'd be working so hard, almost the whole day just to bring a small piece of food into the hole. So I thought, well, look, I'm bigger than them. I have better capacity than them, better ability than them. So I'd go out into the field, get a locust, bring it over to where they are and put it in there. 
And then these ants would just crowd around this locust and drag it, you know. You know how they do it. They're somehow on top of the locust and everybody's dragging it. And they would work so hard to bring it in. And I'm thinking, this ants, it's me who provided the locust. Instead of working so hard, why don't they just look up and help, ask me to help them to bring it into the hole? I mean, I can just move it and bring it in there. You know, when I was thinking about that, I thought, this must just be like the picture of God in us. He's watching us mortal beings struggling with things, sweating, worrying, sleepless nights. Huh? And God is watching over us and he's saying, hey, over here. Just call. Just bring your worries. Throw them to me once and for all. I care about you. Can I hear an amen? Oh, yeah. And Paul says, the peace of God. Note what it says. The peace of God. When we read in the book of, uh, F, uh, in the book of uh, Colossians, it says, let the peace of God. Note what it says. Let the peace of God, Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. That word rule is the word umpire. Know that. Allow the peace of God to be the umpire of your life. What happens? Well, there are several games all that we know have umpires. You have referees, umpires, and all that, like tennis. An umpire sits there, watches the match. An umpire rules on the basis of the match. And an umpire, when they say uh, love 15 or love 30, they don't say it based on how they feel. They say it based on the rules that are being applied. Watch this now. If you apply the rules of God and learn to give your worries and your anxieties to God, God will let his peace be an umpire in your life. In other words, the peace of God will say, 15 love, 15 to you, love to the devil. Why? Because his worry and anxiety will not be able to move your life. In the book of Ephesians, Paul tell, in the book of Philippians, Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, he says, do not be anxious. I read it in the Weymouth translation. Yeah, there we go. It says, do not be what? Over anxious. About what? Hey. I can't hear you. About what? Hey. Why are you whispering? About what? Hey. What does anything mean? Hey. Huh? What does anything mean? Hey. The other scripture said all. This one says anything. Do not be over anxious. About what? Hey. Now note. But, in other words, instead of being anxious, huh? instead of sitting there chewing your nails to your elbows, or instead of sitting there getting into a virtual world, have you seen when we're worried? You just sit there thinking, even when people are talking to you, huh? can't even hear. Anybody knows what I'm talking about? Tell your neighbor you know what he's talking about, even if you don't say amen. Know what it says? It says, do not be over anxious about what? But by and uh -huh, together with, note what it says. It says, let your what? Let your what? Let your what? I can't hear you. Let your what? Let your request be what? Unreservedly what? Where? God says, God says, look, here's the antidote to worry. Huh? Here, here's a way to put that peace on your feet instead of being anxious about anything tell me your requests in short God says let me handle it for you 
You want the locust? I'll get one for you. You want to let, let your request be made, made known unto me in the presence of God and do it with thanksgiving. What does it mean? When I ask God, I thank him in advance because thanksgiving, it's a language of faith in a God who can solve our problems. You know, I must say, <laughs> on a personal level, we were raised in a family that worries. I mean, and I'm, I'm not saying it in a bad way. Our parents have passed now. But uh, from my father's side, we come from uh, champion warriors. <laughs> not warrior, warrior. <laughs> All the way, you know. And I must say, many of our family members, they passed on because of these conditions I've talked about. As a young person, I saw what worry can do. I tell you. Am I saying we shouldn't care? Not at all. Am I saying we must just be scot-free? And, no, that's not what I'm talking about. But there are certain things that no matter how much you worry, you're not going to solve them. You might as well face the truth. Yeah. Instead of worrying, why don't you bring God on the situation? That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Instead of worrying, why don't you tell God, and not what it says, let's have the verse, it says, tell God, your, let your request be made known. Note, God doesn't even say when you come in prayer, tell me the problem. Read it, read it, read it. And this is how we construct prayer. See, our prayer is nothing less than a complaining conversation. God already knows the problem. And God says, tell me how you want this thing resolved. Yeah. You are jobless? What do you want? Make a request. You don't go there and say, oh God, I'm unemployed. I wish you knew how I'm so heartbroken, God. <laughs> God. <laughs> you know it's been three years. And God is standing there thinking, I know you're unemployed. How do you want me to help you? God gives you an open checkbook. And it says, fill in the blanks. Let the peace of God rule in your life. Tell your neighbor, let the peace of God rule in your life. Note, these shoes were tightly fit on their, on their feet. In other words, you've got to make sure you don't let that peace slip away. No matter how tempted you are to worry, don't. No matter how much the winds of challenge are blowing in your life, let peace be an anchor in your life. Bind this peace on your life. Can I hear an amen? amen? So let the peace of God, in short, call the shots in your life. Let the peace of God be the umpire of your life and your actions. Let the peace of God be a reverie of your emotions and your decisions. Allow the peace of God in your life. Can I hear an amen? amen. Now that's on a personal level. All right? That's on a personal level. On a mission level, Paul says, have your feet shot with the preparation. Somebody say preparation. preparation. Say it again. That word preparation in, is very interesting. The Amplified brings it out. It actually means readiness. Readiness. Or establishment. Or firm foundation. Said your feet should be shot, fitly tied, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. <laughs> Excuse me. When used in connection with a Roman soldier, this word 
portrays men of war who had their shoes tied, tied on very tightly, and it would ensure a firm footing, but they were also ready, know this, to march forward to fulfill their destiny. In other words, once they had their assurance that their shoes were going to stay in place, they were ready to march on into the battlefield to confront the enemy. So you don't ever go confronting the enemy if you don't have that assurance. Know this. So when the peace of God is in place in our lives, it gives us the assurance to step out in faith and make the moves that God is leading us to make. What does it mean on an application level? Whatever God assigns you to do in terms of mission, any God's assignment in your life will come with his peace. When you're praying about something, particularly about the destiny of your life, now I'm not talking about things that the Bible has already told us to do. There are things we don't need to pray about. But what about the choice of career? What about the, the decision to start a church somewhere? What about the issue around who to be married to in this section here? How do I know the will of God for me? How do I know if the decision I'm making is endorsed by heaven? Well, the peace of God is a good indicator. When you're making a decision and you sense that there's no peace in your heart, it might be worth it for you to delay that decision. So in other words, before moving on, charging on in life, with a sense of uncertainty, make sure you've got that peace on your feet. <clears throat> Excuse me. So before you take any steps, you need to be sure that God's peace is operating in your life. Don't launch into any destiny without ascertaining that you are at peace in your heart about the decision. You know, it's so amazing how when we have landed in trouble due to our decisions, we knew all along we're not making the right decisions. Yeah. Most of the time, we, we kind of had something that was kind of scratchy and we were not sure or, you know, we were double-minded about it and, and, and so on. Or just somehow you were not comfortable. Yes, Andiko comfortable. Anybody has ever said that to you? No, Andiko comfortable. Even if you can't prove it and even if the decision you are making, all things being equal, it looks like the right decision. I mean, from a, from a mental standpoint... You know, when I reason out what I'm doing, it, everything looks okay. I mean, this guy looks fine. This lady looks fine. This car looks fine. I remember years ago, my wife and I, we, you know, as a young couple, we, we really needed to have a car. You know, we didn't have a car for a long time. And, you know, when you are starting a family, you know, it's kind of amazing when you are starting because you, your needs are this big and your resources are this much. Anybody knows what I'm talking about? <laughs> And anything, if you can get anything cheaper, you want to go for it. So somebody approached us with this great, 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 great offer to say that there was this product that was on the market wherein we could get some investments going and those investments would be used to get us a car. You know, and it sounded good. No, don't laugh at me. It sounded good. <laughs> so here we are, my wife and I, we, we, we put on some money. It cost quite a lot of money, I mean, really. I won't tell you how much it was, but you know, for us starting then, we took all the money we had just about to invest in this thing. But you know, even when we're doing it, nah, you know, I, 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 I was pushing for it. She wasn't sure about it. And it might help us guys to... 
See, see, ladies seem to have a better intuition than we do. I didn't say always, ladies, so please don't get carried away with that. But she wasn't sure. But, you know, from the way they explain this thing, and some people are really smooth in convincing you. Have you ever met some smooth people? I tell you, they can, they can, make, you, they can make you buy something, you know. They can make an Eskimo buy ice in Alaska. Oh, you didn't get that, but that's fine. So she wasn't sure about it. But then they came to take us to the main person who was, uh, who was having these uh, policies. And we went to their house. And, and they actually picked us up in one of the potential cars. And the car was nice. I mean, it was a standard car, entry-level car, you know. Nothing complex. We didn't need anything fancy, you know. Just starting out. We just need to go from here to there. I mean... I mean, even if it doesn't have electric windows, it doesn't matter. You can always use it. <laughs> we go to this man's house. He explained driving back. We were happy, but she was still not so sure. Yeah. So he had given us a list of garages where we can go to, to go and pick any, a, a car that we wanted within a certain range. And all we needed to do is to present this policy to them. So we went. <laughs> when we go to this garage, you know, so the salesman is, is kind of looking at us from a distance. Here we are, we're also eyeing some cars, and I also already see myself, you know. <laughs> so, so the salesperson comes to us and asks us, uh, can I help you? We said, yeah. Uh, we're here to just check one of the cars, actually, so-and-so sent us. Here's the policy. He looks at it and says, what is this? To cut a long story short, we found out he didn't know who that guy was. We was robbed. <laughs> and this person did a disappearing act. We were not able to trace them. We were not able to find them. We lost our money. But we knew all along. Yeah, we knew all along. We were not at peace. See, this is why it's so important not to rush into major decisions in your life. Yeah. You know, some people come and, hey, 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 this is a deal. If you, two days time, it will over, sun here, sun here, sun here. If someone comes, I say, no, 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 no. Once beaten, twice shy. Yeah? <laughs> Can I hear an amen? amen? This mighty powerful piece of spiritual weapon is essential. And without it, Satan will push you, pull you, distract you. So if you launch into any project without assurance, that is the will of God, very often you'll be doubtful. There's nothing as sad as launching into something and you are not sure. Because know this, whatever project you launch, whatever mission you go on to, there'll always be times of tests and trials. And if you didn't ascertain that the peace of God is in your heart, you'll be doubtful at that time. I can tell you, having led the church now for about 35 years, I've had many opportunities to rethink the decision of becoming a pastor. Many. Many, many, many. And in times when it seems like heaven is quiet, in times when you are meeting challenges of love, which will come, it's just a matter of time, by the way. You don't even have to pray about it. It's coming. Mm -hmm. It's not a bad prophecy. It's just the truth. It's coming. But I found when I have exhausted all the options, 
And sometimes even when people who are supporting you are not there anymore. The only thing that kept me going, I can guarantee you, was that peace of God in my heart. That's all. Yeah. There was no supernatural anything except the peace of God in our hearts. May the peace of God be your weapon in your life. When we have the peace of God in our lives, then we use it as a weapon to stand against doubt and uncertainty. To not go back and track back on what we've started to keep moving forward and charging forward. Because there's times in your mission where things are so difficult. You know? As you've heard me say, I mean, the first week of me becoming a pastor in the church, the first three months were the hardest months. People leaving, people conspiring to bring the church down, all kinds of things. You know? You get to a point where you are no longer sure if you did the right thing. So what I'm saying is that a certain Make sure you are sure at the very beginning before you move forward. Yeah. You don't ever change your mind in mid-air. You, you can't. Once you've launched, you've launched. You can't say, yo, no, Benilala. No, 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 no. <laughs> Once you've jumped off, you've jumped off. Either you land in peace or in pieces. Anybody knows what I'm talking about? But then, in conclusion, when we have this peace in our hearts, the peace of God that comes through knowing Christ as Savior of our lives. Know this. We then have the readiness. Remember that preparation? Our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In other words, we have the readiness in our feet to take the gospel to other people. See, when we take the gospel to other people, what are we doing? We are taking over Satan's territory. I mean, through these outreaches, Barcelona, all these three outreaches, I think if there's one thing I've become more and more aware of is the suffering and the pain of the people. I'm telling you. Thank God that we can come to church and sit in the comfort of the church. But Jesus Christ gave us a mission and a commission to go into the world. And preach the gospel. Yeah. We need to go where the people are. And we need to have the readiness to run there and take the gospel of peace there. Why? Because that is one of the ways we can bring about transformation and change in the world. It's not the only way, but it's one of the ways. Jesus gave us a commission. Go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So we must always be ready to take the gospel to the world. We must always be ready to share the gospel with other people. We must always be ready to give a reason why we believe in Christ and a reason why we have hope in Christ. 1 Peter 3 verse 15 and 16 reads, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Always be ready. The New Living Translation reads, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. We must have that readiness to tell people about Christ. If nothing else, tell them the story of your life, how Christ came to change your life. You've got to be ready. You've got to be ready. We've got to be ready. One of the things that concerns me a lot about 
the current state of the church, at least in South Africa, not all churches, churches like ours, let me talk about the one I, I'm, I'm, I'm leading, is that we don't seem to have that readiness to tell others about Christ. You know, when we became Christians years ago, one of the first things we were taught was the first thing you learn as a new believer is to tell your story and give your testimony to other people. Yeah. And we were taught, secondly, how to win others to Christ. Tell other people about Christ. Everybody. We need to have that readiness. Now note, if we do not take the gospel of Jesus Christ to others, it is almost like Satan has kicked our shins. He has immobilized us because our Lord Jesus told us to move, go. But you see, a church that's immobilized, it's a church that's no longer going. Oh, we have been kicked in our shins. But we need to be protected by the griefs so that our feet are not broken. Satan wants to immobilize the current church by taking away our fire to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you know, I'm knowledgeable enough to know that the problems of the world are multidimensional. Okay? I'm aware there's many other things that need to be done in our world. But I'm, I want to say that one of the major things Christ told us to do, which we must be unapologetic about, is to take the gospel to other people. Yeah. But you know, when you look at our, the church, and I'm, I've, I've explained what I mean, we seem to be so immobilized. Why? Satan wants to break our feet. Satan wants to paralyze the mobility of the church. I mean, in the last three weeks, some of the stories we've heard, there's one lady who was brought last week. My bishop was telling me, some of the people in the church, as they went around telling people about their coming meetings, they went into this home in an area closer to where we are. And when they got into this home, they found this woman, a mother of two. Something happened to her recently, she lost her mind. She was in such a bad state that she was literally, they had tied her, her hands like this, just like the men of Gadara. You know, you think when you, read, when you read the Bible, you'll never find people like that in this age. Yeah. Tied together like this. And, and the family wasn't very keen for her to be brought over on Sunday, but she came on Monday. And, uh, and I remember uh, on Monday when she was brought. And we took time to pray for her. She was there again yesterday. And yesterday she was far better than she was. She's not totally cured, but my goodness, you can see the problem. For the first time, for the first time, listen to The family said she never used to sleep. When she came from the meeting that night, she slept the whole night. Yesterday at the service, for the first time, she sat by herself and never caused any problems during the service. Oh, come on, give the Lord a big hand, eh? Yeah. 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 I mean, I was surprised to hear the stories of some of the young people. The one young guy who came there one of the days, you heard his story. When he said, I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> but it didn't work, and this young man was totally traumatized. Demonic spirits are taking him. I mean, if you look at the young guy, he looks fine, he looks cool. No head on an earring, you know, and a grass. Hey. And a tattoo. You know, it's really, it's really, really cool and hot. Hey. Hey. You, you, 
you, you, you'd never think somebody like that has any problems. If there's one thing these outreaches have done to me, it's a great sense of awareness how we can lock ourselves in the comfort of our churches. When we are surrounded by a community that's hurting, but because our shins have been kicked and broken, we don't have the readiness to go. Jesus didn't say invite, he said go. Yeah. And he has used so many parables. Go to the sick and the lame, go to the halt, go to them. He says go, go, go. Go to the highways and the byways, go everywhere. We've got to put our shoes back on this morning. What do you say? And have the preparation of the gospel of peace. We've got to have our armor on, our feet adorned with the readiness. The Bible says the feet of those who bring the gospel are said to be beautiful feet. My last scripture, Romans 10, 13 reads, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? I'm looking at preachers this morning. Every one of you is a preacher. I didn't say you are a full-time minister. I didn't say you need to go to Bible college. But my goodness, you can tell your story. How shall they hear without you, without me, without a preacher? Note, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of priests, who bring glad tidings and good news. What a blessing to have beautiful feet. Feet that don't run to shed blood. Feet that don't run to divide, bring distress. Feet that run, run to bring good news, to tell others. Here we are, Barcelona. we're going to Orlando Stadium. Those three days, it's all about you having beautiful feet. How do we have beautiful feet? When we get others and tell others and bring others. And our feet are beautiful feet. What a privilege it is to know that you and I can have the privilege to be used by God to take the gospel to other places. When we graduated at Bible school, the second Bible school I went to, there's a song they used to sing, and, and I, I know it's not known, that song, but I love that song so much. It's around the scripture. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Announcing peace, proclaiming news of happiness. Our God reigns. May your feet be beautiful feet. May you wear your sandals tightly. May you never allow disquietness, worry, and anxiety in your life. May you also be one of those who will take the gospel of peace to other people. May you also in your life, in your decision making, make sure that the peace of God is the umpire of your heart. And when you do that, you'll be standing against Satan because he wants to take your peace away. Peace like a river. Joy like a fountain. The Bible calls this the peace that passes all understanding. 
is the peace that brings tranquility even in the midst of a storm. Doesn't mean the storm doesn't come. But right in the midst of the storm, God brings peace. There may be those of you who are here today and when you look at your life, you, you realize there's, there's no peace and tranquility. And I'm talking about the peace in your heart. Even though you are living your life doing your best to live for God, but in your heart of hearts, you have no certainty and no assurance that your life is right before God. And as a result, there's no peace at all. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the one who brings peace in our lives and in our hearts. I want to pray with you today. If you want to invite Jesus Christ into your heart and ask him, Lord, with all the storm that's in my life, will you bring peace, please? I want to pray with you. Bow your heads, please, everybody. Close your eyes, please. Nobody moving around except the ushers, please, who are assisting us. Our heads bowed, our eyes closed. If you're here today and in your heart of hearts, you sense Though I go to church, though I'm here today, if I was to tell the truth, I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's no peace in my life for that reason. I feel a sense of guilt sometimes and condemnation. I'm not sure what's going to happen to me the day I leave this world. But today, I want to invite Jesus Christ into my life, into my heart, to be the Savior and the Lord of my life. Would you please pray for me? Only Jesus brings that peace in our lives. Our heads bowed, our eyes closed, please. If you need the prayer, would you raise your hand, please, right where you are. I want to pray with you. Just raise it up. Right where you are, just raise it up. Thank you for those hands. Raise it high. Don't be afraid at all. Only one who brings peace. Only one who brings peace. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus.